This episode of the Backside Ground Balls podcast is presented by The Performance Academy. For all of your athletic training needs, train with purpose at The Performance Academy. TPA houses a number of training resources from private baseball and softball instruction to team sports performance classes. Utilize advanced technologies like output sports, hit tracks, and TrackMan to take your game to the next level. On top of our elite staff and advanced technological capabilities, be a part of the TPA family and take advantage of the many resources our facility has to offer. Want to go to a game? How about a concert? How about going to see classical music? Whatever you're into, there's only one place to get your tickets. Thankfully, we are partnered with SeatGeek, the essential resource for live events. For any of your ticket needs, make sure you go over to SeatGeek.com and use the code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to receive $20 off your first purchase. Again, that is SeatGeek.com, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to receive $20 off your first purchase. We are super excited to announce that we are now partnering with Routine Baseball. For all of your clothing needs, athleisure, the sickest baseball gear you can get. We're talking hoodies, shorts, sweatpants, sunglasses, hats, any baseball style you can imagine. Routine Baseball has it, and we are now partnered with them. All you got to do is go to routine.com backslash backside ground ball. That's a mouthful, so I'm going to say it again. It's routine.com backslash backside ground ball and check out all the different options they have you will receive 10 percent off your order today one more time routine.com backslash backside ground ball and get 10 percent off your order today powered by riverside Welcome back to episode 130 of the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Super excited to be back here on the pod. My name is Trevor Powers, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, Dan Galati. We have a super fun episode today. Uh, We're going to talk a lot in detail about the recruiting process with Sam Scharf, who is the Director of Baseball Operations at the College Sports Advisors. Sam, thank you for joining us on the podcast. I appreciate you guys having me. Thanks so much. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, we're, we appreciate you taking the time to sit down and, and hopefully, you know, our our perspectives and kind of giving some information about the recruiting process is going to be really beneficial to families everywhere. But obviously, with our partnership with TPA, I think that everybody's going to appreciate that. But first, talk a little bit in detail about what you guys do at CSA and, and kind of how you go through the process and help families kind of get through the weeds and all of it. For sure. So, we're a player management company. We work alongside student athletes and their families in a advisory capacity to help them achieve in the recruiting process. Uh, we really try and take a holistic approach to it, you know, and ensure that every facet and decision that the player is looking for, you know, across both their athletic and academic um, part of the process, you know, is being well thought out. That there's an overlying strategy so that they can achieve and and ultimately find the right fit at the college level. So I I just got to ask you when, you know, because this, you know, we were talking before we got on air about kind of the whole, 
you know, broader spectrum of college baseball recruiting right now. And specifically, I guess for you, how important it is, is it for you and, and being successful with what you do? Because obviously this is your livelihood and your job of building the relationship with the kids and the parents to help them get to that next step. Because I would have to imagine, you know, for these people to trust you, to, to, to allow you to advise them on, you know, for a lot of these 16, 17, 15, 16, 17 year olds, it's the biggest decision of their lives to that point. You know, and when you think about it that way, that's a that's a large responsibility for you and your staff. Kind of how important is the relationship piece of that then? It's paramount. Um, you know, for for every one of our clients, um, it starts with an evaluation workout, and we're getting a chance to really put them through a pro style workout. Take a look at you know their movement patterns, their mechanics, the athleticism. You know, we're fortunate that we have. You know, a lot of the baseball tech available to us and, and really getting a, a, a good day one understanding of where their skill set is at and where it's trending and have a detailed, honest conversation with them so that we're able to set, you know, realistic expectations to where we think they fit into the college baseball landscape. And, you know, if we're all aligned and, and you know, see eye to eye from that point forward, then, you know, we can start to talk about our program and how we think we can help. But, you know, if, you know, we have a, a division three or division two grade on a player and, you know, they think they're going to go play in the SEC. It's, it's probably not a fit for us, you know. So I think that getting, you know, from the very beginning on the same page is, is extremely important and allows us to, you know, as we work through, you know, the recruiting process, whether that's a, a high school junior or, you know, an underclassman, um, really work hand in hand and, and knowing that we've set up this from a, from a very honest standpoint and that we're going to be able to, you know, as we move forward, um, hit every objective and, and feel great about the destination that we're working towards. So you mentioned a couple of times there, honesty. And I think that's something that when we talk about the recruiting process in, in general for, for all of us, right, from our perspectives as former college coaches and obviously in your role, it's something that it's it's so tricky, right? I, I don't want to say because some people – you know, say what people want to hear and, and obviously, and, and that's a big part of it. So talk about the importance of honesty and under promising and over delivering at the end of the day, because I'm sure as a company that's more sustainable long-term is being able to under promise and over deliver. Yeah, certainly. I, I think player evaluation is tricky, right? I think, you know, you guys, you know, college coaching background would, would certainly um, agree with that. And, uh, I think first and foremost, right, when you go through that evaluation process, you know, we, we look at setting kind of the floor and the ceiling of that recruitment, right? Hey, if the player, you know, gets marginally better over the period of time, right, that he has before, you know, basically that, that summer between the junior and senior high school, this is the kind of schools and, and level of play that's going to be appropriate, right? If there's, you know, certain growth that we think is, you know, achievable, you know, it can maybe grow, you know, to the high end of that spectrum, right? So kind of setting those, you know, expectations, I think gives you a little bit of room, right? But you got to be honest inside of there and, you know, ultimately um, kind of rely on the experiences and the knowledge that you have. And, and also too, I think, you know, lean on the relationships with college coaches, right? Sometimes it's a, you know, reach out to somebody, you know, in the area and say, hey, have you seen this kid play? What do you think of him, right? To start to help set that basis point for us in terms of, hey, these are 
you know, the ultimate decision makers in this process and, and what are they telling us with this particular skill set. And then, you know, from there, it's just about having, you know, a good conversation with the player and family um, and, and being straightforward, you know, and um, is that going to, to hurt us sometimes in, in, in regards to, you know, the sales process? Yes, but um, there's a lot of players out there and, and you know, we'll, we'll work towards, you know, finding the next guy and, and a guy who's a better fit for, for our program and our culture. And, um, you know, we've been successful. We're coming up on 103 commitments in, in three plus years. Um, but, uh, you know, we've, we've been very fortunate that uh, 98% of our players have made a college baseball commitment. So uh, that's really what we strive to do. And it's a, it's a result of, you know, first and foremost, uh, the commitment level of our players and families and, and the way that uh, they work towards achieving that. Uh, they've earned every opportunity, but, you know, again, it goes back from, from making great decisions on those, on those clients from the, from the get go and alignment, right. And, and making sure that ultimately we're going to be able to get to the finish line. It's pretty interesting. Cause I would have to imagine that to get clients in the door, they're going through somewhat of a recruiting process from your end, right. You know, maybe not necessarily, you know, you're not handing out a scholarship or anything, but you're, you're trying to get to know them. You're trying to build a relationship. You're trying to evaluate them. You're trying to understand what their goals are and if they align with what you do. And that's not very dissimilar from what we do as college coaches and, and the recruiting process of what are your goals? Do you fit, you know, does this align and can we make things work? And, you know, I think one of the things that I don't know if it gets overlooked or just not talked about a lot, but recruiting is subjective. Like, you know, and, and that's something that I've tried to explain to just some of the, the younger guys that we've worked with is like, you know, when they've asked questions about my time as a recruiter, it's like, like to be brutally honest with you, it could depend on what mood the college coach is in that day. And like misses happen because again, it's subjective. Like if, if, if you're having a bad day as a college coach and it's your 15th day, you know, in a row out on the road, sitting in the sun in the summer, some guys just aren't going to look good to you and you can miss. So, you know, and then I would, for your clients, then that communication process for you with them of understanding that those things are normal and that happens and it's not personal you know, how important is that communication piece to kids for them to understand and the families to understand the parents like this is nothing personal. There's not a college coach in the world out there who who <laughs> is holding a grudge against a kid on a travel baseball team that they're watching play. But it's a subjective process and there isn't a, a, a blueprint. We aren't handed a blueprint when we get jobs as college coaches saying this is how you recruit. This is the type of player you need. You know, it, it's all relative. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's probably the most frustrating part of the process for players and families. Um, I think what we try and do is, is make sure that there's that communication back to them, right? That, Hey, this is what we're getting. It's not the answer that we want, but it allows us to focus our time and attention on other schools and opportunities that do have a pathway forward. Um, I think more often the frustration comes where, they're not getting that feedback and, and have a true sense of where they stand with a particular school. So, um, you know, that's definitely, I would say sometimes tougher on us because right, we've seen the student athlete, you know, half dozen times we feel like he can play at that level. You know, obviously we've communicated with, with that particular coach and, you know, for some reason during that, you know, evaluation just doesn't, doesn't click for them. And, you know, that's, 
that's the way it goes, you know. So um, it can be frustrating at times, but again, there's more opportunities, and you know, definitely can't have all of our eggs in one basket, and got have to continue to you know attack the other schools and programs that are out there. And I think as long as you know they have a true sense of where they are, and that they're not continually you know chasing an opportunity where the door is closed, uh, oftentimes is the best approach. Yeah, one of the things that I find super awesome about being able to communicate with families in, in the recruiting process is being able to see people succeed, right? But one of the things that comes from being on this side right now, I'm more on the on the side of you, um, where you communicate with these families, you build a relationship, and really, at the end of the day, you see them at their best, right? A lot of times, you see the best of what they can be. You see the work ethic that they come in and, and provide and work towards their goals and everything like that. And then it's hard to pick up the phone and then call X school that you think you would be a great fit for, and then they go... He's just not a fit. He's not what we're looking for. They don't see, they don't get to see 18 to 22 at bats. That's what I tell kids all the time is like, listen, college coaches have a 45 minute window sometimes to make a decision on whether you're worthy of a scholarship of an opportunity. Sure. They might cross check you down the road, but you've got to impress in a small amount of time. Whereas on our end of seeing these kids play each and every weekend or seeing them play through their high school season and getting feedback from the work they're doing you obviously see more. How do you factor that into your evaluation when you're talking to these families? Like we have you as a D2, D3 grade or whatever it is hypothetically, but not getting caught up in the emotions of, but I really like this kid. Cause that does matter at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's where you have to be objective. I think there are some um, value, right. In physicality, right. So certain body types are going to, certainly stick out, right, at, at different levels of college baseball, right? You look at a roster on, on any of these websites, those things start to matter, right? There, there's not a lot of 155-pound guys at the Division One level. Um, yes, there's always outliers, um, but let's stay within the, the greatest percentage. Um, so that's kind of the first checkpoint for me, right? The, the physicality has to match the level of play. Um, you know, from there, not that – you know, data and metrics is, is the total encompassing of a player, but that's also going to start to give you a little bit of an insight, right, into where the skill set fits, right? There's just certain, again, benchmarks, right, whether it's, you know, fastball velocity or, you know, foot speed. There's not a lot of, you know, 7-2 runners playing middle infield at the Division One level. So I think you have to be able to use those as ways to, to start to um, – take information back to the players and families that um, isn't opinionated, right? I think, you know, going back to Dan, what you said, some of this is subjective. Yes. There's no doubt that, right. You show up at a game and um, you see two to three at bats, three coaches might have varying opinions on a player, but you know, when you start to get into a little bit more of these things that um, have been tested and, and, you know, there's, there's some averages out there for us to work on. It starts to help us pinpoint some things. And, and that's where, you know, for me, we have to rely on those things also internally so that we don't get caught up in, you know, falling in love with a guy because, Hey, he's, you know, he's a, he's a stud and he's going to bring it every day. But again, you know, these certain benchmarks give us a little bit more perspective in terms of what's appropriate. And then, you know, ultimately, um, you know, for us, it's about 
finding them a home where they can be most successful, right? So, uh, yes, hey, I'd love to see this guy get his ceiling opportunity, but, you know, is he better off getting to a level where there's a coach that's really invested in him where, hey, that skill set's going to be, you know, uh, more prepared to play earlier in his career and it's going to set him up, you know, to be successful on the field. That that starts to make a ton of sense in that scenario. It's you, I'm glad you brought up the benchmark thing and then educating the, the the kids and the family on that because you know again there's always the outliers and then what you said there of let's be in the greater percentage let's always try and be in the greater percentage because that's you know that's probably the the best way to find success is to understand that hey these are the benchmarks that I need these are, are um you know this is what you know my prototype is and this is what you know people who look like me and run like me and throw like me have been able to do in the past. It's a lot easier to get there. And, and instead of having the letdown of, if you're sitting there thinking that, you know, at 155 pounds throwing 78 miles an hour, you're going to be in the SEC. Probably not, you know, and, 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 you yeah. know, the cliche that you see on Twitter every day is high school kids turn on a, a college game, you know, and like, that's great, but it's, it's still hard for those kids to turn on that college game and not see themselves. Uh, in your opinion, what's the most important thing for for guys that are going through the recruiting process to do? Number one is get a really good evaluation from somebody that is willing to be honest with you. So piggyback on, on some of the themes that we've talked about already um, on this episode, um, whether it's your high school coach, your travel ball coach, hitting instructor, um, really have that person do a deep dive on your skill set and be willing to be very forthright with you in terms of where your game fits at the college level. That's the basis of any good recruiting strategy. Uh, I think players and families waste more time, energy, money, um, chasing things that are not viable. And hence that leads to a lot of frustration. Um, because they have no idea where they fit. I think oftentimes it's not even uh, an aspect of overshooting. They just don't know what the certain, you know, caliber of players. Um, yeah, yeah, it's easy. Everybody, you know, knows, um, you know, Vanderbilt, right? That, that's a, a name brand in our sport. Uh, but they don't realize, you know, how good some of the programs in the CAA are, right? I mean, um, Campbell's a top 30 program at this point. Um, there's probably, you know, some people that, that aren't familiar with that. So I think, you know, having, you know, people in your corner that you know and trust, but are willing to be blunt with you uh, for lack of a better word. And, and, but also understand the college baseball landscape. I think that's, that's the first part of really being able to now proceed with how to build out, you know, your pathway forward in terms of, how do I market myself, right? Am I a guy who, um, you know, has some legit tools and, and can go to, you know, a prep baseball report or a perfect game showcase and stand out? Or, you know, am I, you know, a little bit more of a, of a you know, average tool player that just needs to get into some of those good exposure settings across the summer or fall circuit and, you know, just let my gameplay do the talking for me. So these are all key decisions that, you know, are really a result of player evaluation and being able to put yourself in the settings that are going to be most beneficial for you, right? What works for, you know, player A isn't necessarily going to work for player B. 
you know, so uh, you have to be able to have that singular focus and, um, you know, be around being around people who um, have done it, but more importantly, you know, have a true sense of, of what's going to work for you as a student athlete. Uh, I always think that's the, the best way to, to really start the process. You, you started to mention about the, the showcases and, and all the tournament settings and things like that. And we're definitely going to get to the conversation about that. I don't want to divert and people make people think that we're not going to get in those conversations. But you mentioned the evaluation aspect of what you guys do. And I think now it's a good time to kind of rehash what your background is of what brought you to CSA. You gave us, Dan and I, the rundown before we clicked record. So I know I'm running it back on the same question we'd already had you answer, but I think it's super important because it's not like you're just some guy who was a little league coach who had a kid go through the recruiting process and decided, Hey, I'm going to open this recruiting service business and, and help these families get through the process. And and you're not understanding of the process. So talk a little bit in detail for anybody who's listening, who might be like, okay, this guy's saying everything right, but how do I know I can trust what he's saying? Sure. Um, well, my, my learning process started really in the thick of it. I was a student assistant at Penn State University uh, from 2009 to 2013. Um, you know, was around Division One Big Ten program. You know, every day for four years. So you start to calibrate right what you know the play looks like at that level and the physicality and the size of the players. Right. Um, you know, was was fortunate to to be around a great staff. And, you know, had some additional responsibilities in terms of on-campus recruiting and, you know, being able to sit in some recruiting meetings and, and start to really get a, a firsthand view and perspective of the decisions and the conversations that are being had, you know, from a college coaching staff. Uh, you know, from there, uh, was able to, to spend, you know, a great eight years, um, you know, at a company in an advisory capacity on the summer ball circuit, you know, showcases and camps, um, you know, a lot of different touch points across the, the amateur space, uh, being around players and families that were, you know, going through this process. And then, uh, you know, in March of 2020, you know, felt like I was at a point in my, my own, you know, career path and development that you know, I was well positioned to start college sports advisors and, you know, take a singular focus of this advisory capacity, you know, to try and best help players and families. Um, there's so many good people out there, travel ball teams, um, trainers, hitting coaching, pitching coaches, um, but really wanted to hone in on this niche and, and being able to spend as much time and energy, you know, helping families achieve their goal within the recruiting process. You know, it's such an important decision. Uh, you know, we were talking about the, you know, the 40 year, decision cliche that's out there but really when you think about you know the, your degree and your major it really starts to have that kind of effect on you know this you know each of these young men's future and never want to be able to get away from that but you know taking it a little bit more into a, a tighter time frame you know these four years of college should be some of the best of your life and uh, when you start to put the the athletic recruitment part into it it definitely complicates things but you know, we want to make sure that they have great information and that at the end of the process, we've set them up for success and that they feel really good about, you know, what they're, where, you know, where they're going and that ultimately they're going to have, you know, the experiences and the relationships, you know, over the course of their college career that are going to be unforgettable. 
I find it interesting. So across the, you know, between Penn State, your previous stop, where you're at now, you've been in basically recruiting for 15 years in one way or another now, right? If my math is correct, that sounds about 15 years. Um, How has it changed in the last three years, in your opinion? And what's the fallout going to be if there is any of the backlog of kind of what we've seen from some of these extra years? Obviously, what's going on at the, the very top, level with NIL and then even throw in the the extra bucket of the the transfer portal where um you know at the division one level obviously the one-time transfer is the biggest impact on it but what the portal has done which has been around longer than people realize is the fact that now as a division two or a smaller school or a smaller school athlete everyone in the country can see your name when you transfer. Whereas in the past, you know, you'd have to start reaching back out and and kind of start the recruiting process and identification process again. Is there a fallout? What's the biggest change been, you know, kind of because the landscape just in the three years is probably massively different. Yeah, I think post COVID has been the biggest change in college recruiting, just not in baseball, but, but college recruiting, um, in in the longest time um you know certainly the extra years of eligibility right that came as a result of of the lost season in in 2020 and and the division three level 2020 and 2021 you know and and i think that um, is something that isn't talked about enough right you had guys who were at the division three level you know now 22 21 22 years old who had played extensively and still had two years of eligibility, right? And how attractive that was, you know, for schools, right? To be able to, to recruit. Um, but yeah, the, the one-time waiver, I think, is, is the biggest impact um, on college athletics. Um, you know, players have transferred for as long as, you know, the NCAA has been around. That, that's not a new feature by any means, but the ability to go from, you know, division one to division one and be, you know, immediately eligible, you know, for that upcoming season um, is a huge incentive for college coaches, right? Ultimately it's their job to win baseball games. And if they can, you know, um, bring in, you know, a plug and play where, you know, that guy's more physically, more mentally uh, prepared, right. To perform on day one, um, that's an asset to them. And, you know, as a result of that, there's just less spots for high school players. You know, if, if you know, a high school class was, you know, anywhere from let's call it eight to 12 players, you know, in 2018, you know, I would say most programs now are at least blending it, right. Where you have, you know, let's call it, you know, 50% portal, 50% high school. So you're just seeing a, a reduction in the, in the amount of spots. And I think uh, particularly you're seeing it at certain positions, probably more effective, than, than others. I still think, you know, high school pitching is highly coveted, right? Um, you know, those guys are, are definitely, um, you know, going to have more opportunity just in terms of, of how many roster spots, right, are, are you know, taken up by, by pitching. And then uh, I think most programs still want to be able to take those young arms and develop them and, you know, have them grow inside of their program, you know, over a three, four-year period. Um, and then, you know, athletes and guys who can play in the middle of the field. So catchers, shortstops, and center fielders, those guys are still, you know, getting some some good opportunity. I think, you know, guys who are, you know, let's call it high school, high school bats, and, and particularly some guys who probably projected with some power, 
might be the most effective in my opinion, because, you know, it's definitely the probably the most difficult tool to evaluate, right. In terms of its progression from the high school ranks into the college game. And, you know, I can now go and recruit, whether it's a division one transfer or D2, D3 bat that um, we have a large sample size, you know, probably 300 plus college at bats. Uh, we're able to sit there in our office and watch synergy or aware and, and watch, you know, how he handles, you know, 90, plus, you know, velocity in his at-bats. There's just so much information on those guys that going back to the evaluation process, right, you know, what we're talking about, you know, on our NTRCSA, right, college coaches are trying to mirror that. They're just way more information, able to get much bigger depth of knowledge on those guys. And then, you know, when it comes to making the decision on them, you feel like you have a much better sense of, of what you're offering versus a high school guy where, you know, there's so many variables to it. So how do you go about having that conversation with families when they do approach CSA about using your services? Are families understanding of how the transfer portal and the extra COVID years has impacted college baseball and the recruiting process are some surprise? Like, cause to us, to the three of us, that's been old news right but i feel like there's definitely got to be some scenarios where parents are surprised probably to understand fully how much that has impacted college baseball recruiting yeah absolutely i think the transfer portal is kind of a buzz term so there's a lot of knowledge um, about what that word is but i don't think they understand uh, the effect right that it has on how, you know, coaches are, are comprising their roster. Um, definitely don't understand the one-time waiver, right, and the effect that that's having inside of that transfer portal. Uh, so just trying to be very informative there. Uh, but, again, I, I think what we're able to do is have very specific conversations. You know, if you have a, you know, a high school arm, you know, we, we have a, a 2026 you know, high school arm that's, 88 to 92 right now, right? Like that conversation is not affecting him like it is others. So, um, you know, definitely, you know, the guy who maybe is, you know, very toolsy, but hasn't been able to, to quite put it together on the field where in the past, Hey, that's a guy, let's, let's put him, you know, on the 35 and, you know, he's got a year to two years to figure it out and develop inside of our program. Um, that's probably one of the guys that's that's now, you know, on the outside looking in, in terms of the division one landscape, you know, so um, just being very honest with those families say, Hey, you might have to look towards a great division two or division three program, right. Where you're going to get an opportunity to develop, to continue to refine your game uh, and go from there. Um, and, you know, the one thing that families definitely have a lack of perspective on is, is the, amount of high level play that's at that division two and division three level. And, um, you know, ultimately if you get an opportunity to play at, you know, that, you know, level of college baseball and end up in a regional or super regional or world series, um, I guarantee you're going to enjoy it. And, and, and the, the one thing, if you follow along, just the amount of players that, are now making that leap and having impacts at the high. I mean, just, I mean, Trevor coached a kid who's now at, at in, in Chapel Hill. He had a great fall. 
I think a Seaver King who was a division two national champion at, at Wingate. He's at Wake Forest generating a ton of buzz was on team USA this year. So that's people, people, I don't know how we will ever change that. The, the making people more aware of what, ha- like how much talent there is at division two and division three. Um, but I know just thinking back to, you know, forever ago when I was in high school and like, I had no idea, I had no clue. Um, and I don't know how you do it other than, you know, services like yours and people, you know, having conversations like you, you know, this is a real thing. This is really good baseball. Um, but I just really quickly wanted to ask, cause you know, you talk about the impact that the one-time waiver and, and the prevalence and transferring has had on rosters. Do you ever have conversations with your athletes about, well, now if you go into this situation and you don't feel like it's okay, you can transfer. Like, do you ever talk to them about transferring before they even get there? Does that even cross your mind or is that completely out of your hands once they're in, in, in college? It's like, okay, well, you know, if they transfer, that's kind of between them, their coach and their family. Yeah. No, I mean, we have a great relationship with our players, so that doesn't cease, you know, when they head off to college, Um, you know, we've been you know involved in some some transfer portal situations with our players where it didn't quite work out you know at their their first school and you know making sure that we help find them a new home where they can be successful um you know i think we look at it as as trying to make sure we get right this initial decision correct and, and setting them up for success at school a um there is no doubt that um the transfer portal as a, as an elevator up, right. is something that you see on social media and kids are more and more aware of. Um, it's a question that has become more prevalent, right. Hey, if I go to right a division two or division three schools, there are opportunities for me, you know, one day to play, you know, at the division one level. And, and the answer is yes, right. You, you have to be honest with them. And, and um, there is no doubt that that pathway is there for you, but uh, first and foremost, you have to go be really successful, right? Yeah. And you have to make a decision based on, can I achieve on the field in the classroom as a person at this school, right? Because if you don't take care of that, there's no future, right, in terms of, of moving up, right? All those guys who are getting a chance to, you know, end their career at a higher level, you know, and, and even inside of Division One baseball, right? Guys who are starting at, you know, really good major programs and finishing mm-hmm. in, you know, the SEC or the ACC or, you know, the top 50 type program, uh, that doesn't happen without results. So you've got to be locked in, on, you know, getting to school, physically prepared, having a great career. And if those opportunities are afforded to you, those are things to, you know, examine down the line. But try not to be in a, in a situation where, you know, you're making a decision and, and looking too far ahead into the future. But uh, there's no doubt it's happening. I think, um, there's there's a lot there's there's a lot of player movement in, in college sports right now and um it's something that you know we've been forced into talking about and you know ultimately we want our guys to be successful so uh, if that's part of their journey it's something that, that we'll have to address and, and ultimately help them and guide their family to to put them in the best situation i find it i find it so interesting because i almost try to avoid that conversation when I talk to people because you talked about when you guys do your evaluations that it's the understanding that there are outliers, right? And Dan and, and the everybody in the college baseball public talk about Alex Mandera and talk about Seaver King and st- talk about those things. But those are about as 
they're the outliers of division two and division three baseball players that are now playing at the division one level. And I think the point you made of you have to have a lot of success to end up in that position where you are that guy, where you are Seaver King or you are Alex Madera. And I, I'm leaving out the hundreds of guys that have made the leap that, you know, we've all seen coached against or, or heard of through the, through the grapevine. But I find that part of the conversation so hard to go because I remember specifically recruiting a certain kid who was being recruited by some division twos and division ones. And he mentioned to us on his recruiting visit that, you know, well, what, how would you guys feel if I went to X school and transferred to you guys? And it was like, we never talked to that kid again. (laughs) Like, to be honest with you, like we were in a position where we were comfortable enough with our recruiting class, but that was the end result the end of the conversation I'd ever had with that kid. So I find it so fascinating and there's really not a question within that, the comment I made, but of like trying to get parents to understand that like we will be supportive if that is the the journey you take, but understand that these guys are absolute they performed, they're studs, like they are outliers in this process of most guys who go division three and division two stay division three and division two. A hundred percent. That's why you have to make a, a great decision, right? From the outset. Uh, the other point that that I bring up, you know, whenever that topic, you know, becomes part of the conversation is, you know, look at the transfer portal and how many players get stuck, right, in between schools, right? And, and that doesn't get a lot of headlines, but, um, you know, that big game of musical chairs, uh, there's a lot of people who get left standing and that's a really bad place to be in. So, um, you know, the portal gets a lot of its pub- publicity, you know, from the success stories, right? The guys who make that jump or, you know, um, you know, the Tommy Whites and the Christian Littles and, and those guys who are, you know, at the top of the sport and, and have a ton of name recognition. Uh, but there's there's more horror stories out there with the portal than success. And uh, I think players and families definitely need to understand that as well. D- in turn, does that then make, in, in, as a part of your job, to, when you're communicating with these families and these players, you know, one, the grass isn't always greener. Is that a conversation you have? And also, like, we need to look at this from outside of a baseball perspective when you make this decision, too, because obviously that's a part of the conversation. But, you know, I feel like sometimes, especially again, you know, I, I don't know if I mentioned this all fair or what, but like, high school is such a small bubble that you live in when you're a high school athlete um, for the most part. You know, obviously travel ball has expanded that a little bit, but you're, you know, you're in your hometown, you, you're around the same guys, you're competing with the same guys. You don't really, it's hard to grasp what's all out there. Baseball can't be everything when you make that decision or else, you know, that's how you end up in a bad situation. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. I think grass isn't always greener. Definitely applies to this, right? And um, you're obviously being successful inside of, you know, that situation on the field, right? If you're, if you're getting opportunities to potentially move up a level, means you're being really successful. It means you're playing a lot too, right? So, you know, do you want to go from being, you know, the everyday guy who's hitting in the middle of the lineup to, you know, a left-handed hitter off the bench that's going to, you know, platoon, you know, with another guy. So I think you have to be, really specific, you know, in terms of, of what those next opportunities are going to look like. Um, and then, yeah, certainly when you start to now talk about, you know, changing schools, 
it's a complete overhaul of the support system you have in place, the academics, um, you know, and then off the field, you know, the people who are, you know, surrounding you in that aspect as well. And, um, you know, I think, you know, looking at, you know, now the chance that you're going to have unlimited transfers, like what's that going to do to guys, you know, trying to earn a degree and, and, you know, how their, you know, credits are going to transfer and, you know, these are conversations that need to be had because families and players, you know, definitely don't understand that, you know, um, you know, we have a, a young man right now as part of our program who's in the portal here mid-year. Um, and, you know, we're talking about him going to a junior college, right, and, and how that's going to affect the next couple of years and, you know, having to get his AA and things of that nature. So um, just making sure that families have a really good perspective on how their decisions are going to affect, you know, the process going forward. Um, you know, is key because again, they don't have the experiences. They don't know the, the landscape of all these, you know, a little bit of minutia here in terms of eligibility. So it's really important that, you know, they have a grasp of, of how each part of right their, you know, college career impacts, you know, towards eventually, you know, being able to graduate. So what are some of the boxes you like to have families check when you talk about, finding the right fit in all aspects of the college experience, not just baseball. Yeah, I think first and foremost, um, you know, does the school offer right your major or the academic, you know, career path that, that you want to pursue? Um, you know, if you want to be an engineer, that's a, that's a pretty specific type of education, right. That you need to achieve. Um, it's going to be hard to do that, you know, with a, with an English, uh, you know, degree, it's hard, you know, it's hard to build, you know, a skyscraper, um, you know, if you don't have that, that background. So first and foremost, right, it has to start, you know, with what you're looking to pursue academically. Um, the next piece is, you know, part of the financial picture for that family, right, and getting to understand what their, their threshold in terms of, of the college decision looks like. Um, you know, we have some, some families that, you know, have a very specific number in mind, maybe it's a, you know, multi, you know, child household or, you know, certain limitations in terms of, of what they can afford on a year to year basis. And um, that has to be, you know, part of the strategy pretty early on. Um, unfortunately, we all pick the wrong sport. It's not basketball. It's not football. Right. So there's no, there's no full scholarships out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's definitely ways to make school more affordable, right. In some places where they can stack money and now take, you know, athletic aid and, and maybe an academic merit package. Um, but, uh, you know, Fordham University, it's a, it's a great program in the A-10, but school's 80 plus thousand dollars, right? Mm-hmm. So if the family's looking to spend, you know, 25 to 35,000 per year, that's a, that's a tough, you know, it's tough to make up that much ground. So got to really get an understanding of that so that we can start to, you know, look at the right type of schools, you know, in terms of, of a cost measure. And then, you know, I think the, the, the last part is, is obviously, um, you know, geographic and campus setting, you know, and um, those are important. Um, but I think, you know, I, I say those are, you know, kind of category two type mm-hmm. questions in my mind um, because they're going to have less impact on you day to day. You know, obviously if somebody wants to stay close to home, you know, there's going to be some things that we have to focus on there. Uh, but always look at academics, athletics, affordability, right, as being the, the ultimate drivers of the process. Um, 
we have a young man in our 2024 class um, who's a, a tremendous student, world-class, you know, type student. Um, he's gonna, he's going to go to a, a top 10 school in the world, right, to, to be a, a college student athlete. Uh, it's a life-changing opportunity. Um, but he never thought he was going to go to a school in a city. But that fades real fast when you've mm-hmm. got that kind of, um, you know, you know, special special opportunity presented to you in combination of athletics and, and academics. So, you know, I always think that there's got to be a little bit of, of flow, you know, in those two areas, but making sure that we can execute and, and find the ceiling and the best opportunity uh, in terms of, of academics, athletics, and then making sure it's, you know, within the affordability range for that family. I just want to follow up real quick with how often are, are families and parents surprised that there are no full scholarships in, in, in college baseball? Yeah, there's definitely, uh, I think some surprise there. I, you know, I always love it when, you know, a family comes to me and says, Oh, you know, we know somebody who's on a full ride to this school. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, I kind of <laughs> smile or chuckle, um, because it's, it's most likely not the case. Uh, it's definitely not, you know, a, a baseball, 100 percent scholarship you know there's there's probably some parameters you know built around that um and i I think the other thing is too is those situations don't guarantee success i think that's that's probably the biggest thing that that families don't understand right that um you know when when it comes down to making decisions of, of who's going to be in the lineup just because you're on scholarship doesn't mean you're, you're playing shortstop. Right. And mm-hmm. coaches are going to put the guys who they feel like have the best, give them the best opportunity to win games. Uh, we've had, you know, just in my time, you know, being around recruits, um, numerous guys who, you know, went in as a preferred walk on made tremendous impacts on those programs and, you know, maybe earned a scholarship or, you know, Perhaps the family didn't need the, the, you know, the financial part of it, but had unbelievable careers. And I've seen guys, you know, get head to campus with sizable scholarships, not a hundred percent, but sizable scholarships uh, and it just not work out. So that's not a predictor of future success. Uh, ultimately uh, it's going to be about what you do when you get to campus. And, um, you know, I, I talk about affordability more than scholarship. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And and so obviously we, we want to be respectful of all of our times here, but I feel like we have so many different topics that I want to go into. So when do you guys usually start communicating with families? When do families, re- is it on them? Um, is there like a comfort level of when you feel it's okay for a family to be like, okay, now we're going to start the recruiting process. How's that process go of like being able to get families on board with you guys and get them through the recruiting process? Yeah. So ideally, you know, we'd like to start working with families um, as freshmen or sophomores in high school. It, it kind of gives us time to really take that holistic, you know, view that I talked about uh, at the beginning. Um, you know, if we can help them in terms of giving them the best resources in terms of strength, nutrition, you know, player development, we know we're going to be able to heighten right the opportunity within the recruiting process especially you know with the new rules no contact until august 1st of your junior year it has slowed some things down you know with those underclass groups which i think is is a positive 
but I still think we can bring, you know, a ton of value to, you know, players in those demographics and, and making sure that they're doing the right things to build a solid foundation. You know, I kind of, I talk about it you know, in terms of a pyramid and you got to be, you know, really sound in terms of your academics, right? The choices that you're making in the classroom, whether it's, you know, test prep or course selection, right? Things like that, especially for high academic players on the baseball side, you know, being where you're at from a physical standpoint to now pursue the recruiting process, right? In, in an aggressive manner, skill development. And then, you know, really from there, you now have, you know, the elements to now start to focus on exposure, player marketing, and eventually move towards, you know, offers and, and kind of end game decision making. So, you know, if we can start to work with guys as freshmen or sophomores, we're really confident, you know, in, in our understanding of, of player development to best situate them for the recruiting process going forward. You know, I look at, um, you know, a young man that we just had commit to, to VMI, uh, Trace Monroe from, from down in Salem, Virginia, uh, kind of in the, in the southwest portion of the state. Uh, he's a left-handed pitcher, and, you know, we started working with, with Trace about a year ago at this point, and, you know, he's he's put on about 12 to 15 pounds, you know, and uh, has really, you know, made some tremendous strides, uh, you know, in terms of, of his frame and physicality, and that was a huge aspect of him, you know, being able to, to make a commitment here, you know, in the beginning part or mid part, you know, of his junior year. And, and if we're not having those conversations earlier, he's still a, a skinny left-handed pitcher with a really quick arm. So, um, you know, I think that's, that's paramount to being able to move the process along, you know, but we get guys at varying points in the process. You know, we definitely, you know, start working with families that are, you know, getting ready for the, you know, the summer between their junior and senior year, obviously that's a critical time, but, you know, for us, they, they've got to be pretty close, right, you know, in terms of, of being ready to get the exposure and move along in the process where, you know, with younger guys, we can we can be a key part of, of that building process, which, you know, we've had tremendous success with. How much easier is it to have these honest conversations when guys get in your program a lot earlier? It Does it make a difference? Because I know – you know, being able to be honest and and at times almost brutally honest, um, as we, I'm sure we've mentioned a couple times, is it easier when you get these guys as freshmen, build them up, build a relationship, kind of give them some information? They see what you're you're kind of pitching to them, and then by the time they're juniors, they're ready and prepared to make the best decision for them compared to somebody who might come along later in the process who's looking for that. Hey, we need last ditch effort, right? We're, we're kind of in a position where we're backed in a corner. We want to find a, a school and a home for our future and we want it instantaneously. How, how does that go into to that process? Yeah. I, I, well, it's definitely easier to evaluate a high school junior, right? You're going to have a pretty good feel for where that recruitment is heading. You know, they're, you know, essentially, you know, months away from, the end part of their recruiting process. Um, we can be super specific with those families. Um, you know, when it's a high school freshman, that ceiling and floor is a little harder to determine. Um, you know, I think with, with those families, obviously we're going to evaluate them. We're going to give them, you know, a baseline of what we think is attainable, but it's really about giving them a vision forward, right. And, and using the players that have come through our program, uh, as an example of what we've been able to, you know, um, be successful with, you know, previously, right. And, 
you know, pointing towards, you know, guys that we got, you know, as high school freshmen and the benchmarks that we hit along the way and ultimately, you know, where they, you know, where they ended up, you know, so I think those are important facets to the conversation with younger players. You mentioned a couple minutes ago, player marketing and getting into that. And and obviously exposure is a huge buzzword. And, and, you know, I know there are philosophies out there of get in front of as many coaches as you can for as long as you can, as many times as you can. And, and sure, that might make you memorable, but, you know, there's different stages of when you find that, you know, when the right time to be is. What do you think and, and kind of what do you advise your players on, you know, as far as what the best methods for exposure are and what the best timing for exposure is? Because at the end of the day, you know, we, we've mentioned, you know, I mentioned earlier about the subjectivity of it all too, like, timing is crucial with a lot of this you know if 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 a coach sees you when you're a sophomore and you're 72 you know small left-handed 72 not great but if in 18 months you're you hit a growth spurt you put on weight and you're 80 you know 86 to 89 well that's a different conversation yeah so two things i think number one is um it's a showcase. You better have something to showcase. Right. right. So we, we kind of talk about that a lot of times. Um, and then, you know, just like any walk of life, you only get one chance to make a first impression. So I always think that's really important in terms of when is, you know, the appropriate time for each player to really start that player marketing part of, of their process. You know, and I think that the simplest way to do that um, is collect some video, some skill work, maybe some game tape. Um, you know, I've done, you know, probably approaching a thousand recruiting videos over the course of, of a decade doing this. Uh, I've never done it with anything more than an iPhone or an iPad, right? Like um, that camera is really good. Uh, you don't need all the, the glitz and glamour that you see sometimes across social media. Um, coaches are going to spend about, you know, I think on average about 45 seconds on our YouTube channel viewing a video. So, you got to really capture their attention pretty quickly. Don't waste 10 seconds with, you know, some music and, you know, intro with the mic and the whole deal, like get to some swings. That's what coaches want to see. And so um, I think having a really good skills video that, that you can put out um, is helpful, right? And using that as kind of the, the center point of an email campaign and reaching out to schools is a really good way to get started. Um, but, you know, number one, right. When a coach, you know, flips on that video, like, he knows you're putting good tape out there, right? Like you're, you're putting good swings or good pitches, you know, stuff that you executed on. So um, number one is physicality, right? What is, what does the player look like in that video uh, from a hitting perspective, you know, bat speed uh, from a pitching perspective, you know, arm speed. Those are, those are kind of the things that have to stand out on tape. So uh, if you're not at that point in your development, probably not a great time to really engage in, in that type of, of strategy quite yet. Um you know, we have a young man in our program um, who over the course of this off season so far, he's put on about 14 pounds. Right. And, and I spoke with the family, you know, last week and, um, you know, they were wanted to be pretty aggressive, you know, last fall. And I said, you got to be patient. You know, you, you've got to understand, you know, what coaches are going to see the second, right, that they start evaluating, you know, your son. And, and we all buy with our eyes. Right. Whether it's, you know, cars, jewelry, clothing. Right, we buy with our eyes. Baseball players are the same way. So uh, you got to look the part. You got to look good in the uniform. There's value in that. And you know, this kid 
on tape right now, you know, 14 pounds stronger, bigger shoulders, you know, defined across the chest, starting to add some mass in the lower half. He looks like a completely different player, you know, and, and now putting that in front of a coach is going to, I think, really start to, you know, draw more interest than that guy, you know, five months previously. So I think that that's, that's always a big part of, of the decision-making, right, of, of when to start to, to market yourself. But, um, you know, email campaign and videos is a good place to start. And then, you know, from there, again, having an understanding of where your skill set is at, right? Are you a guy who can, you know, go to an off-season showcase where there's no coaches, right, because we're in a Division One quiet period and, you know, Division Two and Division Three schools are getting ready for their season. But, you know, the tools are going to be loud and, and that's a way to market yourself going forward. Or do you need to be patient and get to the season and just go play? You know, uh, there's a lot of guys who, you know, fit that mold who have been extremely successful within the recruiting process. I always answer that question. People ask me, when, when should I attend a camp? I say, when you're ready. It's just plain and simple. Yeah. You mentioned it as best as possible. It's if you're going to a showcase event, you better have something to showcase. And at the end of the day, I, I tell guys all the time, I'm like, listen, if you're a junior, you might be getting in the late, the recruiting process late, but coaches, if you're really good and you check the boxes that they're looking for, they're going to find a spot for you at the end of the day. And it's like, you're better yeah. off getting stronger. You're better off getting in with a pitching coach or a hitting coach and getting some stuff figured out and working through some of those intricacies that could help you stand out rather than getting there early it's not always as linear as people think when they get there early that like oh the coach thought I was a good baseball player as a freshman I'm gonna be a guy you might not develop if you're spending your time and money all on camps and those opportunities and I think that's such an important part of this process absolutely Um, I think especially in this new landscape right where you know since last spring you know coaches really can't communicate with you until you know august one of your junior year um, you've got to be really smart prior to that point right like if you're a freshman in high school uh, you have to be part of the one percent that's going to be able to go into that camp and turn heads and be you know somebody that they want to track and follow over the course of the next you know 12 plus months Right. And if you're not one of those guys, there's really just not much value for you in that setting yeah. right now. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. And I think that, you know, this information is so good and, and um, I'm sitting here at my computer and we're running low on battery for whatever reason, Sam, and I don't know <laughs> what's going on. It's plugged in and I actually came up with this, a pretty solid idea that I think I'm going to talk to you about, but we've got about a fraction of what we could cover from the recruiting process. Um, so we're going to do this again, guarantee that. Um, I think Dan and I can definitely agree that we haven't even tapped into what we wanted to get into a lot of things, but we got into so much good content. So um, this is the first, this is not the last time that you're going to be on here with us, hopefully. And we appreciate that, but I, we're going to lose connection here soon if I don't if I don't make something <laughs> happen. But we appreciate you coming on and, and providing so much information. Where can people find you if they're if they're interested in getting some more content from you? Yeah, absolutely. I, I enjoyed the conversation and, and look forward to running back here at some point in the future with you guys. Uh, it's been great to listen, and I think um, you know players and families can get a lot of value out of hearing some of the conversations that you guys have had, you know, with coaches because you're hearing it right from the source and 
even if it's not specific to recruiting, you're getting a really good feel for the landscape that is college baseball. And that's super important in terms of, of them doing their research and trying to gain as much knowledge as they can, you know, in terms of what they're going to encounter when they get there. Um, best way to find us, uh, our website, collegesportsadvisors.com. Uh, also uh, on social media, uh, at College Sports Advisors on Instagram. Uh, me personally, you can find me at SharfSam underscore. That's S-H-A-R-F-S-A-M underscore. Um, DMs are always open and, you know, would look forward to connecting with anybody who's interested, you know, in, uh, you know, learning more about what we do or just having a conversation about college recruiting. Awesome, Sam. Thank you so much. And I know our listeners are going to greatly appreciate that. And, and we'll definitely, uh, like I said, I mean, maybe we'll get like a, a 10 part series together and, and me and you can sit down <laughs> and, and have some, some conversations and push that out on both through both, you know, maybe your website, our YouTube channel, our social medias, your social medias. But I think that would be something that, that we can definitely talk about, uh, off here, but thank you to our listeners. Oh, I mean, I enjoyed this episode, so I know that every one of our listeners should have enjoyed this episode. Uh, make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on all podcast platforms, including Apple Pods, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcast, including YouTube. We're starting to transition into the closer to the college baseball season, so we're going to start posting episodes twice weekly. We've been one time per week over the last couple of weeks, but we're hoping to get two episodes out per week on Monday and Thursday, hitting your feet at 7 a.m. sharp. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BacksideGB, Instagram at BacksideGroundBalls, and TikTok at BacksideGroundBall. And most importantly, make sure you're sharing with five friends, and we'll see you next time on the Backside Ground Balls podcast.